It's the first Monday of the month. Questions from you, responses from us. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 270. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And we are back for our first uh, Monday of the month Q&A show. As always, we welcome your questions, comments, feedback at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is the best way for you to get a future question to us for a future show. I mentioned on last week's episode that Judith Glazer was going to be on this week, and I just completely forgot it was the first Monday of the month. And Bonnie, you do not appear to be Judith Glazer, but I'm really glad that you're here. I'm excited for our conversation today. Glad to be back. And uh, we have a whole bunch of questions to tackle. So let's just go ahead and uh, we'll jump right in here with the first question from Joshua. My question relates to adjustments during career changes. I have recently, within the month, started as an operations manager for an excellent communications company after 10 years of service in the Marine Corps Infantry. I've had the best results from those team members I was able to create a real personal connection with, for example, relating personal stories, banter, etc. My peers are hesitant to apply any real connection to the relationship they have with their team members and have advised against it. Might you have some guidance on how I can create this environment without making waves or find a different style altogether? As an aside, I would very much like to hear of any advice you could give to men and women transitioning from the military to a leadership corporate role in general, perhaps a full show on the subject. Joshua, thank you so much for your both of your questions. And let's take the second question first. Um, yes, I think that this is a really important topic you've raised as far as giving advice to folks transitioning from military to civilian uh, leadership opportunities or just civilian roles in general. Um, we're actually going to do an entire show on this within the next few episodes. I already have identified an expert. I think it's going to be great for us. Um, and your question inspired that. So thank you so much for asking. I can't wait to get into details in that conversation. So I'm going to set that aside for now because we're going to address it a ton over the next few weeks. Um, so let's do the first question uh, here. In regards to the way you're approaching this, uh, first of all, I really I love how you're approaching this. I, I love that you're thinking about how to make a personal connection. Um, the military is a wonderful training ground for leadership. It's, it's one of many great training grounds, but uh, the military does a fabulous job of teaching great leadership skills. And you're bringing that which you've learned and, and also who you are into this new role, which I think is awesome. And you're getting some pushback from some of your peers. And I think that the real danger for us as leaders, most of us, is not that we're going to be bad leaders. It's that we're going to be mediocre. Because many people out there are perfectly fine being mediocre in their work and in the effort they put into things and in how they contribute to the organization. And they're very happy getting the paycheck and kind of doing what they need to do and maybe occasionally doing something that you know is a little more proactive. And when they see someone come into the organization that maybe approaching a little differently or doing something, putting forth an extra effort, that can be a little bit um, 
that can be frightening for people and that can seem like um, that can seem competitive in a way. And I don't know if that's the case here, Joshua, but um, I guess the thing that I would I would ask you is who would you want to be led by? And that's the question I, I often ask of leaders is, would you want to be led by someone who is more disconnected and impersonal as a manager? Or would you want to be led by someone who's made that personal connection is really invested? I know the answer for me. I think you know the answer. And I think you've already decided how you want to approach this. So how do you approach it tactically? I think it do what you know is is true to you and what you've learned and the way you want to lead. And, um, and I don't think you, I think you do it in such a way where you don't necessarily make a lot of waves about it and you don't necessarily advertise that that's what you're doing, but you just take the time to meet people where they are to make those personal connections. And there's always going to be the naysayers. There's always going to be the people that are trying to pull you back from that or saying, you know, Hey, we don't, (laughs) we don't do that this way here. And I think in the long run, it's ultimately going to pay off for you. Um, now, hopefully, there's other people in the organization and leadership who do believe in making that personal connection. If not, then you know maybe it's not the right organization long term. Um, but even in a situation where you don't have that support from uh, from the executive leadership team or the president or whoever it may be, uh, I just think it always pays off to make that personal connection because you're going to build relationships that will transcend that organization, transcend your own career and be really beneficial to people. When you talk about having the best results from those team members that you've been able to create a real personal connection with, I wonder how you've been able to assess that. And if there's real evidence that that's true, I, I say no hesitation, continue going the way that you have. As Dave shared, we, we want to be led by people who are empathetic to the challenges that we run, run into, who have a real compelling story to share that, that can help us feel inspired on, on days when things are less than great. And as a, a person who doesn't have a very good cultural fit in my organization. I teach in higher ed and most of the people that I work with are pretty formal. And there's a lot of power distance would be how cultural experts would describe that between, for example, the professor and the students. There's the big wall up and we're supposed to be always the ones standing up in front and they sit down and they always watch us and they take notes on everything we have to say. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that, but I I am not alone certainly in rethinking the professor student role in higher ed. But I would say that I was laughing because I I was watching this. I'm taking a diversity module, evaluating some courseware that's out there to help faculty improve their teaching in all areas. And and in it, it has these videos of faculty teaching classes. And they seem like great professors. I mean, I have no doubt that they're great, but they're just so formal. And I was sort of cracking up thinking about if someone captured me in my class, just a little nugget. Here's four minutes of her. I can only imagine that just being a little bit like, oh, I didn't, you know, necessarily need you capturing that four minutes of my teaching because I do. I like to use humor. I like to get my students up in front. I like to have us walking around the classroom. I mean, I do a lot of untraditional things. 
but I know that it works. And I can point back to evidence that shows that 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 relationship leads toward greater retention of our students, that it leads to greater learning outcomes, not just in the short term, but in the long run. And I I get to see it anecdotally myself, just as they're more motivated. And I just got to have a conversation with a student yesterday talking about that. So when you are going to take on a leadership role, and I believe as a teacher, we're taking on a form of a leadership role. I think it's great when you can be that leader that can bring out other people's potential and help to be some portion of their motivation. And some of that is knowing what's important to other people and having those close communications. And you're taking a risk every time you do it. Because yeah, the reason that your fellow colleagues are probably telling you to avoid it is they've probably had to fire someone before. And those conversations are pretty rough in general, but a lot rougher if you've really gotten a real personal connection with someone. I've done it both ways <laughs> in that realm. And so I wish you the best, but I just encourage you, as Dave said, if that's what, what who you'd want to be led by, and you do have some evidence that's showing that it's really working, making those connections, I say go for it. And as also, as Dave said, probably not wanting to like make huge pronouncements about it when you're still relatively early in your career. And just thank you so much for your service. And I'm really excited you're making this transition. We hope to hear from you again soon and let us know how it's going. Awesome. All right, let's move on to our next question here from Warren. Warren asks, I'm trying to foster in my group a culture in which every time an issue is faced, they should come with a potential solution to be discussed. Most of the time, they come to me with problems with no solutions, leaving all the thinking to me. It is exhausting and not that efficient. Besides asking probing questions, what else can I do to achieve this? I think that the ultimate the ultimate solution I would have is asking those questions and perhaps starting to think purposefully, like it sounds like you are already doing, to how to get more people coming with solutions. Having said that, I have seen some leaders take this a little bit too far and not realize that sometimes employees have a harder time seeing the bigger picture and that you and your role might be able to look at the different parts of the organization and actually be a more integral part of helping them problem solve. So that would be my only caution is I would not make this an emphatic. I I have seen leaders say, never come into my office without three solutions and don't talk to me otherwise and, and creating too much of a threat around that, I think might silence those voices who just aren't able to conceptualize what solutions would be. So I'd be wanting to think about smaller changes that are going to take place over time that can add up to a greater cultural shift versus starting to impose very rigid rules that may have unintended consequences and and reduce the kind of open communication you receive. I like that you said that. I think there's definitely a balance here. And I think there's also an opportunity to teach because most, I shouldn't say most, many people in organizations just don't have the, to Bonnie's point, don't necessarily have the tools or the training to know how to think about making decisions. And this is something that's being talked about a lot in primary and secondary education right now is how do we help develop critical thinking skills? And there's a good chunk of the workforce that does not have that. And so I think you can also, in addition to asking questions, is you can start to teach and to coach. And um, and, and then part of this too is just your own behavior, Warren, is if people come to you with a problem and then you are truly just solving it on your own, then I think that your 
reinforcing some of that behavior potentially. And I'm, I'm reading between the lines of your question, but it sounds like some of that may be happening. So I think at the very least, if you can engage them in the conversation, if there's, the, if there's a opportunity that's come up and you've got the sense that this is something that they could probably resolve themselves or maybe in, resolve with minimal input from you, is you have that conversation and maybe even use that as an opportunity to walk them through. How would you think about this? What's the if you would template, you would use to think about, okay, how do I, what do I want to think about here? What do I want to think about there? That's not going to be appropriate for every decision, but there's probably a lot of decisions where you could walk through them with that. And I think once you do that a few times and you coach and you mentor and you show them exactly the thought process you go through, um, then maybe you start to ask more of those questions the next time they come to you and saying, okay, well, remember what we did last time? What's you know, what do you suggest as our starting point for how we'd consider what to do with this decision? And to Bonnie's point, you make small, um, you make small movements over time that ultimately will help you to change the culture of the organization and how the organization starts to make decisions. This next question is from Brian. Hi, Dave. I've been a longtime listener and recommend your podcast as a part of development plans for my direct reports. I'm working with a manager that has a very experienced employee that is technically savvy, but our interpersonal and client service skills are below expectations. It's always reported that she has a, quote, bad attitude. The manager has let the behaviors go for a long time, and the patterns are deeply entrenched. To make things more challenging, the employee is a dominant personality and is intimidating. I am just recently giving direction to this manager. What episodes would you recommend for dealing with an associate who is valued based on skill efficiency, but has other major opportunities for development in her interpersonal relationships, client services, etc. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for the question. And uh, thanks for supporting the show. I really appreciate it. It's great to hear from you again. And uh, in regards to your question, Brian, I a few thoughts. Um, first of all, and Bonnie and I have mentioned this on the show before, there's a great book by Mager and Pipe, and I'm blanking on the name of the book, Bonnie, with the performance flowchart. Do you remember the name off the I'll top of your I'll look it up while you're... Okay. Um, there's a great book that's got a, a wonderful flowchart of when you're having a performance issue of what are all the steps you want to walk through. And at the very end or near the end is training. But there's a whole bunch of things to walk through first to think about, is it a problem worth solving? Is the person being rewarded for the behavior in some way? Um, so I think that if you got your hands on that, that'll be a really helpful resource for you in every situation you have going forward on this and and actually be helpful for everyone else too. The book is worth the price just to get that chart and to get a process that you walk through in every one of these situations. Did you find it funny? The book is called Analyzing Performance Problems or You Really Oughta Wanna, How to Figure Out Why People Aren't Doing What They Should Be and What to Do About It. So I would recommend that for sure. The other thing I'd recommend, and to answer your question directly on podcast episodes, I would check out episode number 190. That was when I had Tom Henschel on talking about coaching. Tom really did a masterful job in that episode of talking about the balance between managing behavioral expectations in the organization and also meeting people where they are. And... In this situation, especially since this has been going on for some time and um, this has been entrenched in this person's behavior and sounds like the organization in some ways has probably condoned it over time, uh, if not formally through 
you know, not taking action on it. And so it's it, it's a tough situation. It's going to take some time to navigate. The ability of your manager to be able to meet that person where they are, I'm not saying condone what they're doing, but to understand where they're coming from, their worldview, and then to start to encourage them to look at a slightly different worldview as time goes on. I think that episode would be really, really helpful to get both of you in that mindset of how you approach that. So again, that's episode 190. Uh, The other resource I thought would be helpful to you too is on the new Coaching for Leaders website. If you just go to the main page, coachingforleaders.com, there's a circular button about halfway down that says, I want to coach people well. And if you click on that button, you're going to see a whole bunch of episodes that are specifically related to coaching and helping people improve performance. There's also a number of resources there. Uh, that list is a really good starting point uh, for for that as far as just how you can develop some more of those coaching skills that'll help in this situation. And then if you want to go even more in depth on that, on the new website, we have a free membership that's been set up. So if you haven't already, and for anyone listening who hasn't already, is go on to coachingforleaders.com, set up that free membership, and you can do that right on the front page. And once you do, there's a button in the free member dashboard that says podcast. And you can actually search for any of the past episodes by topic, which is was not there before. And now it's uh, it's much easier to find past episodes that are related to not only this topic, but tons of other topics. And so, Brian, I think that also might be helpful to you, not only in this situation, but going forward of tracking some of those down. I think we have 20 or 25 tags that are already uh, topic areas that we've already identified and more coming. One of those is the Bonnie button. So... <laughs> You didn't know about the Bonnie button, did you? No, no, I did not. You can now set up a free membership on coachingforleaders.com, log into podcast, there's a Bonnie button. And Hmm. so you can just see all the episodes Bonnie's been on. So if you're ever sitting around on a Saturday afternoon saying, hey, I just want to listen, I don't know, 12, 14 hours of Bonnie talking, Hmm. you could do that. So there you go. That's the value of free membership on coachingforleaders.com. All right, on to the next question. (laughs) It is from Mark, and this one is an audio question. Here's Mark. Hi, Dave. I listen to your show regularly, and I love your approach and your style. You make it sound so easy. Just wondering whether you can help me. I'm a leader in a school, and I have a difficult team member who makes demeaning and derogatory comments to students. I've spoken to them on numerous occasions and they just seem to acknowledge that there is a problem. How do I get them to see that their comments have a negative impact on students? I was joking with Dave before we started, Mark, and I just thought, hey, he asked you the question. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a really hard question. And Dave was teasing me back saying, well, you're the one who's got another podcast called Teaching in higher ed. That's right. And it's just so tough because when we are teaching, it can be really hard to see ourselves as we are, to see ourselves as we're being perceived. And anyone who has a quest in their lives to be an effective teacher goes through daily pains every time we teach of that wasn't good enough. I don't like that that happened. I'm not reaching him. I can see that she's bored or something's going on. It's it's a challenge. It's a painful vocation to have selected if you want to do it well. And the trouble is when you come across someone who is so convinced that everything is going swimmingly. 
If you had come to talk to me and said, gosh, I'm concerned, you've been making some comments that have been perceived by your students as demeaning, I thought, oh my gosh, well, what is it? I want to hear more. I'm not saying that I would never get defensive about anything in my teaching, but it certainly would concern me if even one person thought that, and I would want to learn more, and I would hope that my mindset would be open to knowing that I am so far from perfect. (laughs) We really, all people, like I said, that are working toward being great teachers that I have known have that, you know, a confidence that you you know what works and you know what the research says about what helps students effectively learn. You care, you have deep empathy, but there's also still that gap of, but is it enough? And, but what about that one? And, And what can I do more in this particular situation? There are a couple of ideas that I have, but I'll also just say it's really hard when you do have someone who's pretty closed to ideas about improvement. One thing that sort of relates to Brian's question that we just answered, it it doesn't really help to place labels on things. It can help break down some of the defensiveness if we focus on behaviors. Or even when this happened, when you said this, this other person felt this way. When this was said, when this happened, when you turned your back, when you, being able to describe as factually oriented as you can what happened without placing placing any attitudes, again, back to Brian's questions, you have a bad attitude, that does nothing. (laughs) I've never known anyone who's been told they have a bad attitude. You know what? You're right. I really should stop that. Thanks for calling that to my attention, you know, or in your case, you're making demeaning remarks. Well, really? Thanks. Oh, I appreciate hearing that from you so much. It's tough. And one of the things I mentioned actually in an earlier answer that I'm taking this module uh, of a course around diversity And one of the things that comes up when you study diversity are what are called microaggressions. And I downloaded a handout from the course and there there were something like 10 or 12 different categories of microaggressions. And a microaggression is, you can almost tell from the word itself, it's a small thing that gets perceived by someone who is in your population, uh, the other, you know, that so it could be a person of color, it could be a female in a more male dominated area, etc. And the aggression, it's it's when it happens, it's not that oftentimes a person set out to to offend another person, but something that they did or said, it's the small little wounds that take place over a long time that make those people, the others, if you will, feel less than, feel that they don't belong. And that is um, perhaps the kind of thing that this person is doing that you're describing, these demeaning remarks, that that it, it could be quite conceivable that they never intend them that way, but that they just didn't occur to them that it would be. And, and especially we, we learned so much from the people that we communicated with in our own educational experiences, and perhaps they didn't really have good models of that. But I'll tell you, as I read through that microaggression handout, I thought, yep, I've done that in my teaching. Yep. Mm. I've done that too. Yep. I didn't mean to do that, but I did that at one ridiculous time where I had, we're talking about setting up businesses as an LLC or a C Corp. And I started talking about Oh, 
if you, you start a taco shop, we're here in Southern California, there's like a taco shop on every corner or whatever. And someone, the guy, the student was like, what are you saying that because I'm Mexican? And he, it turned out he was totally kidding. Like he thought that would be funny to tease me that he was offended. I was in that, but in my head, I was like, I didn't even realize you were Mexican. Like it had nothing to do with the color of his skin and everything to do with just that there are so many of them here. And it just had come into my mind. And again, I totally from talking to the student afterward and just our relationship before and after, I literally don't think this was a case of me doing a microaggression, but it was a wake up call to go, you know what, when you, start bringing up kinds of restaurants or that kind of stuff, probably you don't ever want to do one that's tied in with some sort of ethnicity. I mean, or or at least make sure that you're doing it so regularly that it's not calling so much attention to this particular student starting this kind of business, you know, just being more cautious of that. And so I, I guess I would try, the only other advice I would have other than you're really dealing with a tough situation when someone doesn't want to see it is to start trying to categorize what kinds of remarks are being made. Because demeaning is a pretty broad thing. In what way are they demeaning? Can we can we categorize them in any way and perhaps try to get some resources in front of them? In the United States, it's a pretty litigious situation when our teachers are underperforming. There's generally a union involved, and I'm not sure what your dynamic is like, and that would just be another thing is to make sure you're using your resources if unions are involved or is human resources the principal. I mean, just just trying to determine who you can bring in to problem solve it a little bit more. If I could erase all of that in my own mindset and just give you advice as a leader, I'd want there to be a, hey, if this continues you're no longer going to work here and have there be some greater uh, consequence (laughs) that gets communicated because it, I would be, it would be so important to me that our students are treated well and get the best teachers. And again, like I said, it's really a complex area though. And oftentimes we're not able to move as fast as we might otherwise like to because of some of those dynamics. And by the way, for anybody listening that I I actually have had family members who have worked in unions and I have teacher friends who, I mean, so I don't want to make it an us versus them thing. I just know that sometimes uh, the best decisions can't always be made as fast as we would like because of those dynamics. Yeah. It's a complicated environment you have to navigate. And, um, Mark, to Bonnie's point, it's it's a really tough situation. And as she pointed out, there's a whole, we don't know any of the details. So we don't know what the language is that's being said and how often. But there's two things that I'd zero in on your question that came up for me is, uh, is one is this has happened multiple times. And secondly, that this person has acknowledged it's a problem. So you your question was, how do I get them to understand this behavior? Understand? I forget how you phrased it, but it was, um, you know, how do I get them to appreciate what this is doing to students? I'm not sure that's as important as far as the behavior change, or, or more so than the behavior change, because if they've already acknowledged it's a problem, I mean, you may not be done done with it, but you know, it's now like, what do we do differently going forward? Bonnie's shaking her head no. What are you disagreeing with me on? Oh, I wasn't sure he had said that they had acknowledged it was a problem. So maybe I misheard uh, him. Oh, so. I thought I heard that. Well, yeah. well <laughs> you'll you'll find out when you listen back to it, I suppose. <laughs> um, but as I don't know, as a as a parent of a I mean, you said one keyword, Bonnie, movement. 
do something that moves the situation forward. So if it's working with the union, yes. If it's documenting, yes. If it's training, yes. I mean, uh, if if they have acknowledged the issue, then there's either a unwillingness or an unable to do anything different. So one way or another, keep the situation moving and send a message that status quo is not okay. I mean, maybe it's just me being a parent of kids getting into school age of like, no, <laughs> you know, you don't. You may still get to teach, and there may be, you know, there may not be simple ways to exit someone from the organization. But no, you don't get to just get away with that. Uh, that we're going to continue to talk about that, and I'm going to continue to move this process forward to make sure we resolve this. And I'd rather, I'd love to resolve it in a way you change your behavior. But if you're not willing to do that, then we're going to keep it moving forward a different way to resolve the situation so our students are treated well. The book that Dave mentioned to Brian with the funny subtitle about why you really ought to want <laughs> with the great flowchart in it has been excellent for me in my own management of keeping myself on track to keep things moving along, to make sure mm. that I'm addressing performance issues and I'm not just going to brush them under a rug. And I would highly suggest taking a look at that book and even having a flowchart where you know that you're moving your way down that flowchart and addressing things appropriately. It's an excellent, excellent book. Can't recommend it enough. This next question is from Warren. Warren says, I have three employees that are close to retirement, and it has been a challenge to transfer that knowledge to newer ones. They have the mentality that if they share their institutional knowledge, their job security could be affected. I've tried including cross-training as a part of the performance appraisal, and there has been some progress, but not at a pace that I would like it to be. How can I have them transfer their knowledge or expedite the cross-training process? At the same time, I need to do it at a pace that will not adversely impact our operations, risk associated to learning curves, but at the same time, the clock is ticking because they can leave any time now. Any ideas to handle the issue? Uh, Warren, first and foremost, you've zeroed in on something that I think a lot of organizations miss when they're thinking about knowledge management, which is what this is, uh, and that is the fear that people who have more experience have in sharing their experience. And in some cases, some organizations, there may only be one or two people who really know how to do something well. And as soon as they teach everyone else how to do that, all of a sudden, they're not unique anymore. They're not the only person that has that skill. They lose and they give up some of their power in the organization. That's a real, true fear that um, a lot of experienced employees have. And in some organizations, it's true that uh, their job security is affected when that happens. So um, so I'm, I'm glad you're approaching this from the complexity. I think it, it warrants Warren. And, and I think one thing that you can absolutely do is to do what Dale Carnegie said um, when you're trying to change behavior is to praise every praise the slightest improvement and praise every improvement. Be lavish, be lavish in your approbation, and uh, oh, I'm getting the quote wrong. Shame on me for being a Dale Carnegie person and getting the quote wrong. Uh, he just but, rolled over in his grave. He did. He did four <laughs> or five times while I was stumbling over that sentence. <laughs> uh, but it, basically, the message is praise. So you've mentioned that you've seen some progress. So when you see those things happening, you see the progress, you see someone sharing a piece, a document, or you see someone taking the time to spend five minutes teaching someone how to do it. Um, Take the time to really make that known. Thank that person for doing that. Um, make it known in the next staff meeting. Uh, when you send out the weekly update on email, point out that uh, this person did this and got this person up to speed on this particular task. Uh, that's the kind of thing that, it, it, as you call attention to, 
and you start rewarding people for having that behavior. Um, it's not that the fear goes away, but it's that all of a sudden people start to go, oh, uh, this is a good thing too. There's reasons to do this. I think another really helpful thing you could do is uh, this was brought up on an episode earlier this year of um, some organizations do an offsite where they'll go to they'll go somewhere off the property and do a meeting or or, um, or you know get people together for a retreat. And um, some organizations are starting to do something called an onsite, which is rather than um, rather than take people out of the offices, actually go and spend time in one person's part of the workplace or in one person's location or one person's site. I'm not sure if you have multiple sites or multiple locations, but you could do a mini version of this. Um, you could have once a week where people get together for 20 minutes at someone's desk and you talk through some of the key things that they do. Um, now, you're not going to get 30 years of institutional knowledge transitioned in 20 minutes, but you do in 20 minutes get people to know what someone else does what are some of the key pieces of their job? And maybe you generate a few more questions that are happening uh, going forward about work. And then I get, and the other thing I'd mentioned too, this isn't true for everyone, so you have to judge this based on the members of your team, Warren. My experience has been in working with clients who are navigating this over the years, that there's a subset, and in some organizations, a very large subset of employees who are nearing retirement age and are going to be leaving in the coming years, who have a tremendous amount of care and pride in their careers and in what the organization has done. And for those people that have that care and that pride and that you have a, a relationship with where you can have that conversation is connecting the knowledge management, the training, the mentoring they were they are doing to the ongoing longevity of the organization and their legacy. And um and again, that's not appropriate for everyone. Some people are, you know, their their time is done and they're ready to walk out and they don't necessarily have a lot of passion for the organization. But for the people who do, I think that's just a wonderful way to have someone leave the organization and and to leave a legacy behind them that people are going to go on and do great work with the training and the mentoring, the coaching that they've given. As always, the notes and the links for everything in the episode today are captured in the show notes, and those come to you on the weekly leadership guide that you'll receive on Wednesdays. And the best way to get access to that is to activate your free Coaching for Leaders membership. This is a brand new within the last couple of weeks, and activating that membership in addition to getting the weekly leadership guide on Wednesdays that has all the show notes and resources that I found during the week that I think will help you. It also includes access to the podcast library that Bonnie and I were talking about earlier in the episode that's tagged by topic now. So all of the experts we've had on the show in the last five years, if you're trying to track down a specific topic, you can get right down to the episodes that's going to make most sense for you to listen to. And in addition to that, hot off the presses is my brand new free 10-day audio course called 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. And when you activate your free membership, you'll get access to that over 10 days. Each lesson is 10 minutes or less. Some of them are just five or six minutes. It comes to you by audio. And if you will give me 10 minutes a day for 10 days, you'll get the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader. I've gone through and found what I think are the 10 best lessons over the last five years of the show, uh, the guests who have brought them and snippets from the most important conversations uh, that we've had here on the show and how to empower others. You can get access to all of that right now for free. Just go to coachingforleaders.com 
www.thecoachmentor.com and you'll find right on the main page there how to activate your free membership. And uh, and speaking of the past episodes, three related episodes that will uh, support some of the conversation we've had today. Uh, back on episode number 32, that was a long time ago, almost five years ago, I went through a step-by-step process of the best way to do on-the-job training. And uh, that relates to one of the questions today on training. We talked about that a bit on this episode, but that episode goes into great detail on exactly how to do step-by-step on-the-job training with the people you're leading. Again, that's episode number 32. Uh, also mentioned on this episode number or in this uh, show, episode number 190, how to improve your coaching skills with Tom Henschel. It's one of my favorite shows that uh, we've done in the last five years. Uh, Tom just did a masterful job of talking about coaching. I highly recommend that for anyone who wants to, um, if not improve your coaching skills, at least start to become aware of what you can do with coaching and leadership and how to balance that with the management skills all of us need. So again, that's episode 190. And then finally, episode 257. I also had Tom Henschel on the show then, and we talked about how to manage former peers. And I think that will be relevant for some of you thinking about the implications of the first question from today's show. Again, that's episode 257. You can go to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number that will always take you there. And next week, I am (laughs) thrilled to welcome Judith Glazier to the show. And she's really going to be on the show this time, uh, unlike last week. Uh, So she's going to be teaching us on how to improve our conversational intelligence. She is the author of Conversational Intelligence, How Great Leaders Build Trust and Get Extraordinary Results. And I think you'll really enjoy that conversation. I had a ton of fun talking to her and uh, get you thinking about conversations in a whole new way. A big thank you this week to Tracy and Mark here in the States and also to Saj in South Africa for the really kind reviews you left on iTunes. Thank you so much. If you've been listening to the show for a bit and feel like you can leave a rating and review for it, go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. That's the easiest way to get there. And if you'd like to submit a question for consideration on the next Q&A show coming up the first Monday of every month, go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. Have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you inside the membership portal. Take care.